everybody, this is Townsend. Thank you so much for tuning in. The goal of this podcast is to cover a vast variety of topics regarding mental health, struggles, share people's stories, and hopefully remind you that you're not alone. I hope you enjoy. What is up, everybody? It is Townsend. I'm so excited about tonight's live. We're going to be talking with a good friend of mine, Laura. I met her not that long ago, and we chit-chatted about her story, and I thought it was so interesting. I wanted everybody to hear it. I wanted her to share it when she was comfortable doing so. So we're going to be talking about surviving a stroke, especially at a young age. All right. Are you nervous? I am nervous, but I'll, no. I'll be fine. I'm not a public speaker. I'm, I'm not. I, I'm, the only reason I did this is like get it out there and maybe help other people so absolutely absolutely it has been such a cool project I know you've kind of kept up on my social media and I told Mm -hmm. everybody earlier I've gotten to know you recently and so we've been talking about like my other um I guess I'll call them episodes topics that we've talked about and I thought yours fit perfectly and you were comfortable sharing your story so I'm so excited about this because it's a topic that it's scary and sadly enough Mm -hmm. a lot of people that suffer from a stroke they may not be able to talk about it or they may be an older age and it's just so rare to hear about somebody in their low 30s having a stroke yeah being able to talk about it later like that's just so cool to me well I mean it's taken a lot to get here (laughs) I may tear up when I talk about my kids or whatever that that gets me but um I'm ready I, I want I want what happened to me was very rare um they're they're minus from an injury um but it does happen and people need to hear about it you know so yeah absolutely absolutely well I'm excited that you're able to share it I'm excited that you're here to share it with us I may get teary too girl don't judge me (laughs) (laughs) okay guys I want to encourage everybody we've got a lot of people logged in um (laughs) somebody said street kitties in the house yes yeah that's so when you say who is Laura I'm a street kitty (laughs) <laughs> I, had, I had to get that out there it's it's I love it joke. Mm-hmm. all right people so um I love when people say, I love to do these live because that gives people an opportunity to comment to ask questions to kind of show their friends and family love and support so I know <laughs> good lord you're for I know <laughs> I love, I I'm sorry no I love it I love it's it that's what I was gonna say I love when Frids log in so guys keep showing their love support it kind of helps us through this also if you have any questions feel free to ask them that's why I do them live I want to give you guys an opportunity to ask questions one-on-one we can chit chat about them but enough is enough let's get started okay All so right. who the heck is Laura I am a middle-aged mom <laughs> approaching that I've got two awesome kids uh, Will and Allie Will's 15 Allie's 13 um recently started working again that's going to be a huge part of this um so that's that's yeah that's about it what's what's your job look like now Um, I'm a billing specialist at a um, mental health clinic and um I was told I never work full-time again I recently just I went from part-time to full-time so that was huge for me um because I never thought I'd be able to do that again. So that's, wow. so was that, for me, it was just, it was, it was huge. And I really, my boss, like I was so thankful she gave me the opportunity and I'm with a great team. So it was, it was just a, it was meant to be. So I was going to say, was that a celebratory moment or like a dang, I got to go back to work full time moment. Well, I went back to work and I was like, what did I just do? <laughs> but no, it's, it's good for me. It's, it's um, really great for me to get out of the house you know, uh, and I, I will get more into my story, I'm sure, but, but, um, 
you know, I sat home for six years and I was like, who's going to hire me? Um, with, you know, some of the residual effects, I have fatigue and things like that. I was like, I was told I'd never be able to work more than part-time and that I, it would probably be like a, just a desk job or, or, you know, something like that. And so I was like, who's going to have the flexibility to hire me? I've been fine. I took off one day when I had my COVID second COVID vaccine or my, no, the booster and had the effects from that. I've taken off that, you know, I took off a few days to go to Branson, but, um, been there every day. So, you know, it's been fine and they're very flexible and it's just, um, I was really lucked out. I'm very blessed to be where I'm at. So. Absolutely, man. I, I would imagine that is super scary for a doctor to tell you these things and then kind of oh, step yeah. out of those orders of, well, I think I can do it. You know, you, you set yourself mm -hmm. up for, well, I'm never going to work again. That's what they said. Right. Well, it was like, I wanted to go back to work. I was 33, but it was, um, you, you get in your head and it's, it's you when, especially which I went through a trial and, um, and so you hear all these doctors like talking about your abilities and you, these psych tests and all the people, what they're saying. And, you know, it, it messes with your head. And, um, you know, my dad at one point was like, you can't listen to them. They're trying to make you sound bad. <laughs> trying to make it sound bad or they're trying to make it sound whatever. But it, I mean, it just, it really did kind of get in my head. And so, you know, a lot of it was just therapy and pushing forward and like, well, I'm never going to know unless I try. And so, and I tried and I'm running, so <laughs> done really well. I love it. That's one thing that I feel like uh, medical professionals and healthcare professionals, they need to be careful what they tell their patients. And mm -hmm. being in healthcare myself, I did speech therapy full time last year and for nine years before that. But something that I see all the time is when people have a stroke or, gosh, a brain injury, anything of mm -hmm. that sort, like major, um, they tell them, gosh, the best way to put it is like restrictions mm -hmm. they will have. And yeah. I feel like we're getting better at it, but I feel like we really need to fix that into what you might have because everybody's mm -hmm. different and technology and medicines are so much better now. Like we can't have people thinking, oh, I'm going to be a couch potato for the rest of my right. life. Like yeah, we need to give them the encouragement as well, but be right. realistic, you know. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to You're Not Alone with Townsend. If you're enjoying these live streams and podcasts and want to see them continue, head over to patreon.com slash townsendtmusic. Your support means that the research and time and effort that goes into each one of these episodes can continue, and we can reach out to more guests and do more awesome things in 2022. All right, back to the conversation. So there was that balance of, um, I've got to be better for my kids, or I've got to show my kids I can do more, that I can't, you know, there's more to it. And I, you know, I went through a period of depression where, I got out of bed, but it was just like, just, you know, there was just so much fatigue and so much just not knowing my, the doctors still don't know. And I, um, you know, I'm, I'm like the 1%, um, where they, I was 33 when I got these stents. I've, I've got three inches of stents literally from here to underneath my eye. They go into my brain. Like those are long. <laughs> they don't know really. And so I'll have to have more procedures as I age. And, um, I had to push through that. And I think my kids proving to my kids that, Hey, I'm okay. And you know, you, you push on, you move on. So, um, yeah, I can't imagine having two and they would have been pretty young at that time. So pretty young seven kids. and nine. That was the last time I could pick them up and throw them over my shoulder, or, you know, swing them around or, you know, 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. So let's jump in. We've kind of touched on it a little bit, but tell us a little bit about your story. So what got you here? Like, obviously people know you had a stroke. You were the right young age at 33, which just like, that's so like hitting home for me. I'm not that far away. Um, 33 is incredibly young. Like you said, you were the 1% incredibly rare. You've got these two young kids at home. You're just an active, normal 30 something year old. So what the heck got you into this? Well, um, I had a shoulder, some issues going on with my shoulder. Um, I went to the chiropractor and, um, he was like, well, you sit at the desk all day. I worked full time for the state. I was in child support enforcement. And, um, so he kept having me come and, um, now I know you shouldn't go that often. Like you should like six six visits or so you should be good and um he kept having me come for maintenance and um so it was like every few weeks and um so I started having migraines after my last adjustment it was on December 14th of 2015 and um I was having they would come and go and so I'd had migraines before but nothing like what I was experiencing I started like seeing flashes of light and I'd feel the urge to vomit and that wasn't normal for me. I know, but you know, so I looked it up and people have that with their migraines. I even looked up symptoms of a stroke at one point and, um, but I had all the signs of a migraine. And so I just, I started to make an appointment for a doctor, but they would go away and it was Christmas time and I had two kids in school with all the Christmas activities. And so, and I was working so I didn't go and um anyway um New Year's Eve um my husband was in um Conway picking up my daughter from my in-laws house she had gone home with him after Christmas and um I was at home with Will by myself and that night my head was just killing me and I remember taking ibuprofen drinking Dr. Pepper trying to get some caffeine in me and we watched the ball drop at 11 and I put him to bed, making him think it was midnight, you know, pulled out a switcheroo. And um, I was trying to get her room clean before she got back because my little seven-year-old girl, her room was in a frat boys. And so um, I, I just remember like working on that and we, we went to bed early. I woke up the next day and I was continued on her room. I was doing laundry and um, I was walking to the the washer and dryer was across the house and I was carrying her sheets in there and I walked through and I just felt like my arm kind of go numb and then my leg like it just kind of went through me and I was like that's weird I knew what a TIA was I knew what a stroke was but I was like eh you know might your head just hurts really bad you're fine put the stuff in the washer switched stuff over was walking back through the house and um it happened again and so um I immediately went to the bathroom and like, you know, did the whole, the face thing, hands above your head, stick my tongue out. Nothing was odd. My, my, everything was normal. And so I was like, you're fine. You're just really, your head's just really hurting bad. And, um, so to me, the timeline was happening very quickly, but looking back, I was actively having strokes. And, um, so it was all day. But to me, it was, you know, it was foggy. Um, I, at one point, I heard like a whoosh in my ear, looked that up. 
not a good thing if you hear that. It was like I could hear my heart beat in my ear. Um, I walked, went to go to the bathroom, and I turned to Will, and I said, hey, buddy, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. But it wasn't. It kind of came out um, all jumbled, like something about Walmart and the color red, and I could hear myself, and I was like, that's fine that's not good. And so I called RJ and I said, just really slowly, I was slurring and I said, I think I'm having a stroke, but it came out a lot slower than that. And he immediately heard it in my voice. And, um, he's like, hold on, let me call your dad. My dad lived about 30 minutes away. And, um, he, RJ called me right back. At that point I was calling RJ dad and saying just, and I knew what I wanted to say, but it wasn't coming out clearly. Every, that, everything was starting to come out jumbled. And um, I, we told, RJ got on the phone and told Will to go. Our neighbor was a, a firefighter at the time, he was also an EMT. And he said, go get Mr. Andy and, you know, tell him mama's hurt, mama's sick. And um, whew, so I sat on the, and I sat on the recliner and he went to get my neighbor, well, his he wasn't home, and his wife came in, and she she took a look at me, and she was trying to call nine one one. I was going, I'm fine, I'm fine, <laughs> and in my head, that's how I was saying, I'm fine. Do not, I do not want to pay an ambulance bill. My dad's on his way, but it, I was slurred, and it was like, like she thought I was drugged, and and I'd taken something like, and um, my dad walked in. He it took him about twenty minutes together, and he walked in and took one look at me. He did. I didn't have a bra. He would not let me grab my purse. He did not let me grab a bra. He like grabbed a jacket and threw me in the car because he thought he could get, get me there faster than an ambulance could get to the house. And uh, they got me to Mercy. By that time, my face was drooping. They're in there, and I'm and I'm starting to freak out because they're like will rush me in they take one look at me get the crash cart like they're freaking out I was like great you know it was like whoa then so they start throwing IVs wherever they could throw IVs because they didn't know if they were about to have like if I was going to crash they didn't know what was going on and um at that point I lost the ability to speak and um that that was really scary um because I'm I know what I want to say and I can't say it and my dad's trying to answer questions, but I wasn't with him the first part of the day. And I'm looking at him and I'm looking at the doctors and I'm like pleading with my eyes because I know what's going on. And I, do they know that I know what's going on? Like that was kind of the, you know, it was very scary. Um, there's a certain amount of, there's a window that they can give you the clot buster, the TP, TPA or whatever. And um, I was within that window and they were about to give it to me. And my dad was in the hall signing the papers. And I, at the time, I did not know what a dissection was. I did not know any of that. But I just, in my gut, I knew I did not want that. But I couldn't speak to tell them that. And I was just, I was just panicking. And um, all of a sudden, my speech came back. And I was rapid fire telling them the events of the day, like went the full timeline. And they were, so they didn't give it to me because apparently whatever was there stopping my speech had moved on. And so they were like, okay, well maybe she's coming out of this. Now I know if they had given me that, you know, it's very hard on your veins that it would have, because I had a, a tear, it would have killed me right then because I had a three inch dissection. Um, so that's just call it what you will providential. That's, I mean, crazy. Um, 
but um, they started to release me because, you know, a stroke doesn't show up on an MRI immediately. And so they thought I was having a complex migraine. I was 33. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Um, started having speech issues again. And so they decided to keep me overnight for observation. And um, that night I had the big stroke. I felt a line down my head and I looked at RJ and I said, I'm pretty sure I'm for sure having a stroke. Didn't come out clear like that. He went and got the nurse and she comes in and she's like, stick out your tongue for me and looks. And she's like, yeah, I think I'm having a stroke and walks out. And I'm like, I look at RJ and I said, am I going to die? Like, am I about to, and he's like, you know, you're going to be fine. So the next, that was January 1st, <laughs> that my deductible really fast. <laughs> um, um, just you know the next few days were kind of in and out um I would lose like the ability to speak it would come back I would they would ask me questions how many kids do you have three I have two do you smoke yes no I did not smoke like and I could hear myself but it was just it, the brain is so weird it was just like numbers were jumbled um I could not read the date I could not um I was saying stuff and I just sounded like completely crazy. And I, and I look at my family and I'm like, you know, I'm in here. Right. Like, it, but I really, it's like, I wasn't, and I was kind of off, but, um, like really foggy. But when I saw my mom come in from, she, I was in Northwest Arkansas at the time. She lived in central Arkansas. Saw my best friend walk in the door. It's like, Oh, this is, this is not good. You know? Um, that second day is when they did the ultrasound and they saw the dissection and at that point it was we have to transport her to Little Rock or she will die the um my dad tried to get the doctor to step out and he was like no she's a patient I have to say this in front of her and so I'm like trying not to have a panic attack and like he I can't speak again at this point I cannot move my right side I'm completely paralyzed on my right side um and anyway he says the blood's barely trickling to her brain on that side if if we don't get her there she will die and so I was there another day while they were trying to assemble a team at UMS that could handle me so there was a doctor that um did brain surgery there was the the uh, interventional radio radio radiologist yes yeah but it's it's another long word anyway so he neuro radiologist um he um my dog's trying to eat something beside me um he was so they got that team ready they med fly to me in but before they I, before i say that i have an amazing group of friends amazing and um just, I, I, they were about to put me on the helicopter and i really started freaking out and uh, my best friend why are you there your friends they're gonna hijack the helicopter yeah. they're yeah. gonna be hanging out the side being like woo, 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 make it a party. well they were they were down there waiting oh um, i know i've friend, met them <laughs> i know yeah that's how i met you yeah um so um looked at me and, I, and she was like you know made eye contact was like breathe breathe kind of breathe me you know got me through it then they they put a pick line in my neck uh, on this side um and to you know prepare me for a flight or whatever missed the whole helicopter ride like if you get to fly in a helicopter you want to be able to see that right 
I do not recommend it. Um, <laughs> it was the most claustrophobic feeling. You're, it's tiny. You know, I had people like men sitting all over me, like grown, like large men <laughs> sitting. Anyway, so we get there and that group of friends is waiting there watching them unload me. They're not supposed to be out there <laughs> watching them unload me, trying to ask questions. Um, anyway, they, but, so at UMS, they have to wheel you through the um, waiting room. Why they have it like that, I do not know. But um, I kind of kind of wake up. I slept for most of the flight. It was like 45 minutes. And I um, open my eyes and I see like my aunt, my uncle, my cousins, and I'm like, close my eyes in because I was like you know the the realization you know and then I see my kids and I'm like why are my kids right here like I don't want them to see me like this because my family was booking it to get down here they took off before when they found out I was going to med plot RJ took off with kids and my dad stayed behind while they were going to take me anyway so you know that was I didn't want you know I remember thinking I don't want them to see me this way you know um but that's basically once I got there, I was out. And that was the January 3rd. I remember them kind of setting me up and stuff. But um, the 4th um, is when they did my, they went in to see what they were looking at. And um, they, when, we, when I was taken there, we thought they were going to do a bypass. That was what they, you know, what we thought. So they removed part of your skull. They take a vein from your leg from what I know I'm not a medical professional but um he was able to put three back-to-back -back stints he said if it was any longer that he wouldn't have been able to do the stints so um I like I said they go from you can kind of see them from here and they kind of call it behind my ear and right up in here but um and I still like when I see the scans I'm like <laughs> the doctor's nurse is like recently was like oh my gosh those are long I was like will you shut up oh my gosh like those are long stints I was like thank you that's not professional like and then I'm like because <laughs> it's weird to see like these 3d images of your head and these stints keeping you alive anyway um so that's you know that's the main part they were able to put the three stints in I was in there a little longer um I had several strokes um through the night I ended up those were ischemic strokes um ended up having a hemorrhagic stroke after you know when they pushed the uh stents through it kind of pushed them so there was bleeding on my brain it was touch and go that night um so you know they my people leave and come back to the hospital and um I opened my eyes and was like hey <laughs> and I you know not like that but I recognized people you know, I was like, my throat hurts so bad. I didn't know I had stents. It was like, it hurts right here. Like the worst sore throat I've ever had in my life. They're like, that's where your stents are. Um, but, um, and it took, so I was in ICU for about a week. Um, got to see my kids on the 10th. So this happened January 1st. Got to see my kids on the 10th. Um, waited that long because, I didn't want to see, you know, I was still, I had tubes hooked to me. I, I wasn't able to um, eat or drink anything. I had tubes in my nose. I uh, failed the swallow test at one point. That was horrible. Had to have that tube shoved back in. Had to be held down for that. Fighting. Um, anyway, then um, went to, then they asked where I wanted to go to rehab. And um, so where's the best? It was BRI in Little Rock. And, um, so the decision was made for 
RJ to take the kids back to Northwest Arkansas. They'd already missed a week of school because uh, we'd been out for Christmas break and they had a week of school. And then so they went back to try to get them in a routine. And uh, my mom, I lived in Central Arkansas at the time, and she stayed with me. And then on the 19th, I believe, I got to, I was released. Um, so it was eight to five strict therapy. I mean, I wasn't allowed to get out of bed, walker, wheelchair. We're talking major uh, therapy. They worked me. <laughs> and then um, outpatient therapy, once I got to, back to Northwest Arkansas, um, I was should have had speech. I was told to have speech. Physical therapist that evaluated me didn't think I needed speech, but I I did. Um, I, the just the um, board finding and things like that. Um, I really should have had more speech, but physical therapy. Um, and then um, my speech came back after about a year and a half. I went through neurofeedback brain training. I was just I had speech, but it was really slow. Before we, so before we talk about the rehab part and like kind of what helped you explain kind of what a dissection is. So you said you went to the chiropractor and you're talking about how there's a big dissection for people that yeah. don't know what that means. Kind of explain what that is. Okay. So you hear people, you know, you've heard of that happening. Usually when uh, that happens, it's a vertebral artery. So I'm like the less than 0.1%. It was my left, uh, left LCA. So left internal carotid artery. Um, Which, by the way, is a major artery. Yeah, it's a major, major artery. The, the survival rate for that is <laughs> very low. Um, so basically your artery is, it's got three layers and um, they're very thin. And the, the, the middle one is like almost like an onion seeing, you know, how thin that is. And um, so basically mine started as a small tear and so I was having migraines and that's why I didn't just die right then, you know, and it grew over those two or three weeks and um, just slowly grew until it started throwing bigger clots. And then that, so I was had two things going on. My, the, um, so the dissection, that skin had torn and folded over. So it was blocking blood flow and at the same time trying to repair itself. So throwing clots that way, trying to clot off. And so I had kind of two things going on. Um, so that's, that's what that is. Uh, one, the body is an amazing thing. The fact that it tries to heal itself Two, if you looked at a diagram, like a for real cerebral artery in your hand, it's tiny, tiny. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that you have a little bitty slit in it. So basically if I, if I heard you correctly, you went to the chiropractor, um, for lack of better term, basically got a little tear in that cerebral artery, which is a major, major artery. And just with time, it just kind of got worse and worse. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that cerebral artery is teeny tiny. So the fact that your body can try to heal it, which is trying to do actually ended up causing more damage, which that's crazy to me. Did you yeah. know what you were talking about? Uh, you kind of researched it when you were having those migraines, which scares me because I know a lot of friends that have migraines yeah. don't know much about strokes before you started looking them up with that. No, I really didn't. I, I mean, I have a degree in health promotion and education. So the minor in exercise science, like your basic health degree <laughs> wasn't like I was, I always planned to go on. Life happens. My kids, my, my kids were preemies three months early and two months early and it just, I stayed home with them. It just didn't happen. But um, no, no, I didn't. I mean, I'd taken anatomy. I'd never heard of a dissection like that. You know, you hear of aortic dissections. You hear that all the time. I'd never heard of anything like that with the um, 
my, the ICA, but um, so it like tore where it branches. So my stints start down here and they're, they're about the size of a pen, but they get smaller as they go up. That's crazy. So, okay. Yeah. So during that time, I remember, so let's go back to the hospital. So you're, you're having the strokes, you go to the hospital, you're uh, mid flighted down to Little Rock. And you had told me a story that sticks out to me. And I don't even remember when you told me this, but it's been a while, but doing speech therapy and that being my, you know, my degree in the background, it stuck out to me the most because you were saying you were laying in bed, your family's there watching, you're with it, but you can't communicate that. And so nobody knows really, you just got to be careful what to say in front of people because they might be with it, not be able to verbalize that, but that's a whole other topic. But you were talking about how thirsty you were. You're like, I yeah, drink of water, but you couldn't move your art. You like couldn't initiate that movement. You couldn't say you needed water. Everybody's standing around just staring at you and your mind is like, I'm freaking thirsty. Yeah. Well, I can move my left hand to a point. I was, you know, I had a lot of things hooked to me. Um, thank God. Well, let me say this too. I'm left-handed and I think that has helped me more than anything because it was my right side that was paralyzed. So, so that was, you know, just another providential thing, you know, but, um, I remember I get just staring at my cup and like, you know, I just had a stroke and, and this is the thing you need to understand about stroke patients. I just needed to pick up the cup. That's all I needed to do, but my mind couldn't make that connection. And so I just stared at my cup, dying of thirst, just staring at it, like, and then my, like my food one night, um, they thought I was asleep and my, and RJ and my grandmother walked out and I'm laying there and they brought in my food and I'm laying there staring at it. I'm starving, staring at this food. I was so mad. I cussed on my, I, my grandmother like picks up the fork and starts because I couldn't feed myself. She like starts <laughs> feeding me, but I'm like slurring. It's coming out very like and I won't say what I said I was so mad and um so they, they start you know my grandmother comes in and it's cold and that just made me even more mad you know stick it in my mouth but um all I had to do is push the nurse call button so there's that you know <laughs> you know you need to make sure hey there's a nurse call button here or yeah. give them a board to ride on I would have held <laughs> kind of yeah. held it up I don't know Here's how I would have held it up finger. that point. Uh, <laughs> but, your middle um, finger to flail around yeah so okay yeah. so one thing one thing I want people to take away from this and this is something that really hits home for me like I said uh, my biggest setting is geriatric and this goes with anything so dementia stroke seizures anything like that you have to be careful what you say in front of people because they could be way more with it than you think they yeah, are just absolutely yeah so nothing irks me more uh, we would have students and just get on them about this because they don't know better but you just have to be taught you come into a room or really cocky doctors we saw this mm -hmm. um, but again like I said it's getting better but they would come in the room they would talk to the family about this patient doesn't have any chance of walking and you're talking anymore you might as well mm -hmm. put a peg to minimum take them home and appreciate the last few days right and mm -hmm. we're sitting there thinking no so now you've told this patient and now this patient has in their mind that well I'm not going to get better why should I try Right. And when you're in that moment, you feel like you're not going to get better. Sure. I mean, I That's couldn't, I look, I look at my keyboard and like the letters didn't make sense where they went. I wouldn't know it. It'd take me two hours to type out, you know, one word. I mean, it was, it's the most bizarre thing. All that comes back, but it was the most bizarre yeah. thing. And, um, anyway, my dad, at one point he was like, 
is she gonna be goofy like this forever because I would laugh all the time I would cry like my emotions are all over the place and I'm inside going God, you know it's like it's 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 just the weirdest thing it really is bizarre but did the doctor to him and say yes she's female <laughs> no he was just like she's just give it time and you know the thing in the physical therapist I went to outpatient also said a lot was one year it's yeah. like you know you're going to be in this fog for one year and then you'll kind of just one day you'll be out of it and it, it was kind of like that um they told me not to go back to work for for a whole year I went back in four months I did not listen I did not need to be going back to work I would I would like start to pass like my face would turn white and I would just like about pass out and I like have to hold the wall to go down to the bathroom and like one day because again I'm in a fog I like needed to go to the bathroom so I start like unbuttoning my pants in my office I'm like what are you doing you have to walk down a hallway like you know I got it together but it's just like that's where you're you're just not clear at all and um and I'd catch myself but this hand still every once in a while it'll just it'll just drop a cup or whatever like it's just like Hey, you know, it's just done. done. Okay. So during that moment, let's go back to like the hospital. Um, like I said, you're, you've had stroke, you're going through that. You're at the hospital. You're being fled my fled, med flight of wow. Um, you, you're, you're doing what I, I know. Yeah. What was the scariest moment in there? So one like flash of a moment that you thought this is the most terrifying thing ever. Um, I was scared I was going to die. Yeah. And, uh, that was it yeah um, like I said my kids were seven and nine and my my family didn't know if when that plane landed or that helicopter landed if I would be alive or not and that was scary and then you get past that point and it's will I ever speak right again will it ever feel right to walk again because it took me probably a couple months to where um it felt normal it just was almost robotic and it hurt like I because this whole side had been paralyzed and so you're trying to wake it up again and it's I mean that's basically the thing is wake up at those nerves and so everything was just off kind of and it and so and you can you just feel it I, I can't it's really hard to describe so you know it was, it was those type of things I'm 33 once once I got past that okay I'm gonna live I still had that fear for years like is this going to happen again? You know, up until recently, I had to go through some EDM or I highly recommend that. Um, but um, walking, talking, all that. Um, I've got a funny story about my speech. Um, you know, a couple, like, I went to a funeral about a year after this happened. And my, again, I was talking really slow, really calculated on getting my words out. And so you look at somebody who doesn't know you very well. It was back here in my hometown and like they look at you and they cock your head and then they speak louder and slower to you. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, like, are you kidding me? How's your head? My head's freaking fine. Like, you know, but I'm just like, oh, good. I'm not deaf. Thank I'm you. not deaf and I, I'm in here, you know, because you could not, like, if I send any text messages, you could not tell. But if you saw me in person, you're like, mm, she's not speaking a little slower. And, but, um, no, I was in here, but I did that neurofeedback. And about 
maybe a year in, I was sitting there talking to my dad and um, he just started laughing. We were all having a serious conversation and he just died, starts dying laughing. And I got so mad. I was like, why are you laughing at me? And he just can't quit laughing. And his wife, I was like, Jeanette, did I say something weird? And, and he was like, she's like, no, no, you didn't say anything weird. And he, and I said, what is it? And he said, you're talking normal. I never thought I'd hear it again. Oh, oh um, you know, just that speed had come back. But he's like, I never thought I'd hear, hear your voice again. You know, you're, you're from before and it's, it's back. I still have days where, uh, I'm tired or when I get sick, I know two or three days before I get sick, my face is just starts drooping and I'll, I'm like, oh, dang it. <laughs> I'm it's back. Taking vitamin C. Um, yeah. The crazy, have, the crazy thought you were talking about how you did EMDR and everything like that afterwards because mm -hmm. you were afraid it would happen again. So crazy enough, I've done live streams, one being with the Clark & Co Realty, his wife, who was, um, I think she was 30 when she got her breast cancer diagnosis, but mm -hmm. the part about that was she said she went all through chemo all through these treatments and the most anxiety ridden she was when she was after all of that and her mm -hmm. mind just wouldn't stop playing is it going to happen again or when yeah. is it gonna happen again and so therapy and things like people just think oh you're healed that's it but there's so much more than that no I felt like a ticking time bomb I mean yeah. it happened so quickly before why wouldn't it happen again like for the first couple of years and I still do it I, I have to have yearly scans and see the doctor and whatever and um I ask him like the same questions over can I fly on an airplane can I can I, I can't ride roller coasters that's a big no-no and that's actually one of the few ways that can cause a dissection is roller coasters the g-forces yeah <laughs> well, that. I that because I don't ride <laughs> that's why so to my friends watching that think I'm a prude because I don't ride roller coasters just because I don't want to okay there you go it's very rare but it does happen car x I mean that's you know it's very um I, you know I can't play contact sports um my friend Sin's always trying to get me to you know play and I'm like I can't I'll play you in horse and I'm going to kick your butt um I'm really proud of myself I'm watching my language um but um <laughs> anyway but I'll, I'll ask him questions and so I was um I have a minor in exercise science. I was really working out in 2019. I was in the best shape of my life. And then COVID hit, you know, whatever. But um, I've asked him, you know, what can I do and what should I not do? Because I was really into strength training at that time. And he was like, just don't strain. Like, don't do more weight than, like, you, you're comfortable doing. If you have to strain, don't do it. He said, I just had somebody in here this morning. They blew their other side straining and I was like great thanks for that so then yeah you know I didn't want to work out for a while but um what okay do you feel like you've had any residual effects I know you talked about how your speech kind of slows down when you're tired your face gets mm -hmm. droopy right before you get sick but are there any other any other um effects that have just stuck around yeah and also when I get tired like I'll have word like my word finding I'll I'll just look and be like read my word because I can say everything that i like I can say everything I don't I'm not trying to say but what I want to say will not come out so it'll be like a whole sentence I'm trying to get out and like just read my brain it's right there and it won't it's the weirdest thing I'm sure being a speech therapist you kind of know about that but it anyway it's so that that obviously was the part of my brain that was affected was my language and you know um but um there's that I do have peripheral neuropathy I'm um, in my toes and um I I, I 
suspect it's in my hands too as well. I moved so back to central Arkansas about a year ago and just the climate difference, it's not as cold down here. So I don't have it as much. It's better, but usually it's in the cold. Um, when in, in North, I lived in Bentonville and up there it would get down to like 10 degrees and below that. And like my hands would just quit working. Like I, I would go do fine in the spring and summer and just, you, you forget. And then I'd like be trying to tie a Walmart sack or something. And just like my hands just drop and kind of do where it is weird. Um, but my toes will burn. Um, that's really, um, I had a lot of issues from the blood thinners. They kind of ate my stomach lining and I kind of went rogue and quit them and switched to aspirin. Don't recommend that without talking to your doctor. But I switched to 325 before I did it. Um, I had an audible gasp when I told them I did it. So there will be no gasping. I'm young. I'll do what I want to do. I need a stomach lining. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but he, he agreed with me. And he's like, I think you're probably healed enough now, but you will have to tell him, that, you know, a 325 milligram aspirin, aspirin every day. Um, that's really... That's really all I can think of think of right now. I, I have headaches. I feel the weather change like weather fronts just kill me. My head, I'll feel that line. And again, it's gotten better over the years when, when the first the pressure in my head, you know, it would just feel like it was gonna explode. And now it's not so bad. I'll just today there was one coming through and I just kind of felt tired, but I worked all day and did fine, you know, and just kind of pushed through. So you talk about, and you've talked to me about it as well at a different time, but you call it, was it neurotherapy? Uh, neurofeedback. Neurofeedback. Yeah. Okay. So you mm -hmm. talked to me about this and even as yeah. a speech therapist, didn't really, I know what it is, but didn't know much about it. And it is the most bizarre thing. And I wish it was more affordable and the insurance helped yeah. cover it. Because yeah. after I read about it, after talking about you, it has like miracle results, but it's just insane. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit and what made you I, um so I, I did not win my trial and then that's something we really haven't gotten into. I did this whole trial. Um they could not prove without a reasonable doubt that because it was so long, it didn't happen on the table. And so um A, there were jurors that were tearing up. I mean, I think they knew good things that came out of that were I was referred to this doctor or this uh clinical psychologist that did neurofeedback. And I was, um, the chiropractor now makes people sign something saying that it can cause a stroke, but he will say it can't cause a stroke, whatever. That was a win. So people have to sign. They might not know, you know, people sign stuff without knowing what they're reading, but there's that. But the neurofeedback, um, I went in and even the doctor was like, listen, I, I have a hard time explaining how this works to people without laughing myself because it just sounds insane. Um, but I was young and when you're that young, your brain is like plastic and so it it can remold and rewire and basically it was like rewiring my brain so they would it feels funny telling about it but they would take electrodes to my so i'd have my brain mapped and they would work on different areas so i'd have like 12 to 14 sessions on like one area and then they i'd be remapped and they do another area and then and they just kind of worked their way and we were working on this side mainly because that's the side i had my stroke on and then, um, you know, you can stop at any time. And um, I felt I'd gotten to my baseline. And so I stopped and I, I, I probably could go back and do some more, but I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty good. I mean, there's some things I'll never fix, the fatigue issues and things like that. But again, I do really well now. I mean, it, it gave me my life back. It gave me my speech back. I cannot imagine um, 
not having that, um, not tool, but just that resource to get my speech back, get my energy back, get my thought processing back. My words with friends score, listen, it went down to a 13 with the stroke and I, my friend was like kicking my butt constantly. And then it went up to like a 27, 28, 29 and like she quit playing me. So I know that's the reason I know you're watching. That's the reason I know it's the reason she won't admit it, but um, <laughs> I, um, it's just, that's, I mean, it's, it's just amazing what it is. And they, and they also do it for um, my son had it he's on the spectrum. He had, um, he was a little slower, had some issues with math and things like that. And he doubled his math scores in like, just like six weeks. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Again, it was expensive. <laughs> um, it's like a, the price of a, you know, a car, but um, <laughs> I'm but very worth thankful. It was very worth it. It was completely worth it for having the response. <laughs> definitely the reason she just said <laughs> definitely the reason. <laughs> But it was definitely worth it. Um, yeah. But I mean, they do it for depression, anxiety, migraines, people with um, the, the bipolar, that are bipolar, um, addiction. I didn't know this, but like, because I asked one day, I was like, well, how does it help with addiction? So apparently there's like a pill you can take, like if you're an alcoholic and it like, but makes you sick. Well, they can do this brain training where you'll feel sick if you take a sip of alcohol. How they wire your brain to do that I don't know but you know I'm a believer because here I am so yeah absolutely um, do you feel like you know you talked about you were at that moment where you thought this is it I may die I have two young children at home I have a husband my family my friends are all out there waiting and then here you are functioning doing well working full-time what the doctor said you would never do do you feel like maybe that changed um your mindset which how what you think about things or how you go about things do you feel like that's changed since the girl that was 32 definitely i think a lot of that comes with just age sure. you know when you age i'm you know getting all up there um but um don't look yeah. at me don't look at me when you say that oh no, you're young listen <laughs> you're young you have you have no clue just wait just wait um i um yeah so life is short you know don't sweat the small stuff um everything's small everything's the small stuff um i just i you know i, I have to catch myself i have to pace myself because i just want to go 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 and miss you know because i feel like i missed these six years um of my life and really going back to i was in northwest arkansas for for you know, I had the stroke a year after I moved there. So you're talking the six years there and I was isolated. I didn't know anybody. My dad was there. He would come over and like stare at me on his lunch break <laughs> after, you know, the stroke because he just to see me. But, um, you know, I didn't have friends. I didn't have that support. So I think being back around my family and friends has been better for me in the last year than, than anything. So having that support group, having those friends, um, and, um, just and you know I just I try not to you know that they joke with me at work I get joked with about my stroke you know you're gonna pull the stroke card again well yeah I am um and uh, uh they said they're gonna throw me a birthday party um and they were gonna have a huge banner that says stroking it to 40. yeah so um but <laughs> they'll say stuff at work my boss said that she's like oh my gosh she was so angry she's like I, 
I, don't get offended. I feel like I'm going to have a stroke. And I was like, I'm not offended. I was like, I really don't get offended anymore. Cause I, I understand that. <laughs> it's like, it's so funny. You just laugh stuff off. Like I really don't. I'm just so happy to be at work. Like the other day I realized I was doing something that I didn't need to be doing that I was, I was told wrong at one point and I, I'd been doing it since I started. And she was like, are you not mad right now? And I'm like, she's like, I would have quit. This is my boss. Was, I would have quit. And I was like, no, I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy to be able to work. It's gonna be doing something. Every day on my way to work, I try to remind myself as I'm like, I try to remind myself, you're lucky to have a job, be Mm -hmm. thankful, you know, those kind Mm -hmm. of things. Um, Okay, so what advice would you give loved ones of someone who have suffered from a stroke? So let's go from that point. So like people like your dad and your friends that were checking in on you, but you've suffered from the stroke. What advice would you give those loved ones? Um, in the moment, like we're in the hospital. Don't have the freaking TV on. Don't do it. Don't watch a ball game in there because that person may not be able to tell you that I couldn't watch TV. It, my vision, I thought my vision would never come back. I had halos. Everything was bright. Keep it dark. Don't have loud noises. I love my family. Like, that's not it. They just didn't know. Um, so that, um, make sure they have <laughs> the accessibility to drink, <laughs> eat, um, give them a whiteboard, a little whiteboard to write on. Um, just check in with them constantly. Um, don't bug them to death, but, um, basically that's it. And then check on your friends, make sure they're still okay. Um, even if you think they're not in there, they're not able to do something, ask them, make them feel included. Um, that's the best thing at Lindsay. I know she's on here and she would constantly call me, Hey, come down, you know, why don't you come down and stay at my house for the weekend? Why don't you come down? And, and we just laugh the entire time and you forget, you know, it just, it would get me out of my head. So, um, make sure that they have that support that they're getting out of the house, that they don't keep them in because, Oh, they're a little, unfra- no, they need, need to get out. They need to go outside. Let them, I'll tell you this real quick. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I was there for two weeks, and or uh, when I was, I it, I was there for a week, but it had been two weeks or two or three weeks since I'd been outside, and the um, psychiatrist there at the rehab. I'll never forget this, and I wish I could tell her. She was like, "You haven't been outside." I was like, "No." She put me in a wheelchair. And she wheeled me outside and she wheeled me around outside. And we were freezing January. I was freezing cold. And I was so happy to just be outside, you know. So take them outside, you know. Um, I don't know what else to say. Just make sure you're checking in on them. And they're, they're in there. Yeah. They're in there. Yeah. I love that. I think so that's. treat them. Yeah. Like they're not, you know. I don't look. I'd, I'd get looks like. Don't look at them like that. Just be like, hey, how's it going? Or, you know, yeah. hey, just talk to them like they're normal, you know, because they are, they're just having a, having a moment. <laughs> but, um, well, I think so. I would imagine so. Yeah. Okay. So now where you are now, you know, you still get fatigued, but you're a hundred percent better than you were. What does self-care look like for you these days? Um, I just pace myself. Uh, you know, I, I've tried so for so long. I've constantly felt like I was having to prove myself that I could do this. I could do that. So I'd push myself so I'd just fall over and then not be able to get out of bed for two or three days. And now I listen to my body. Um, you know, I, I can't just go, go, go. I, you know, I can more than 
make myself sound like an invalid, but I just pace myself and um, I uh, make sure I spend time outside, make sure I do stuff with people I love. Um, I love live music. I listen to a lot of live music, like love it going out and doing because for so long I couldn't. And so I'm trying to make the most because time is short. I'm trying to make the most of that. So just making sure I probably go too much, but making sure I take care of myself because for so long, even before the stroke, it was all about my kids or all about, and it still is, but you know, I was, I'm a person. And so I make time for myself and I've, if I'm not where I need to be, I can't be the parent I need to be or the friend I need to be or the sister or the, you know, I have to take care of myself to, to, in order to be, to take care of others like they should be taken care of. So I, I mean, that's what it looks like, but focusing on others, not focusing on myself. That was a big part of, you know, getting out of my head and um, doing stuff for others. So I'm not worried about my ailments, you know, I'm, I'm fine, you know, just go and do for others. So we do a lot of volunteering with the kids and things like that. Um, just to give back to others. That's, a, that's another thing we do. I love that. That's really cool. The, the, the kid, I know they were super young. Do they ever bring it up to you? Like that, that oh, time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They, they had some traumas themselves. They, um, you know, if I, if, if I were sitting here talking to you right now and Allie were sitting here and she's not here right now, but if she were sitting here, she would just, you know, I'm just talking and I'm fine. And I'd look over and she's just bawling. And so, you know, we had to get her in some counseling for a while. Like, unless I drank out of a straw, I would choke on my water. And it's just, I was fine, but you know, it, and it would freak them out. They'd come running now <laughs> I'll stutter or something and they'll make the little raps out of it. And people are like, that's so horrible. My no, it's actually kind of funny. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny, but, um, they're good now, but there was, there was a long period of time. If I get sick or something, they're pretty worried. I'm like, I get sick just like you get sick. Like I'm fine. You know? So there's just constant reassurance yeah. for them, but they're good. They're good. Yeah. Um, all right. So one last question, how long did it take you to get, what was the timeline? I know you said you went to the uh, hospital and the rehab that was like two weeks between those two to get mm -hmm. back to walking and talking and functioning like a normal human being. Like, let's say back to your baseline, what you were before, how long did that take you? Do you feel like? Well, I'll never be back to my baseline. I mean, I can't feel my toes someday, but um, it took, a good a good year maybe a little longer um and a lot of that was me being in my head and not pushing myself um I have to make sure I eat right if I don't eat right I feel like crap but who doesn't I mean but um my speech coming back was probably with the brain training a year and a half in so that was that's probably where it came so 2018, 2007, into 2000, 2018, probably so two years really, is when I, I feel like I got back to where my best, where I'm gonna be. And that's really with neurofeedback. If I didn't have neurofeedback, I wouldn't be working. I wouldn't be anywhere where I'm at right now. I really attribute a lot of that to the neurofeedback. I've been very blessed for that. Yeah. To be able to have all right thank you so much for doing my laura uh, a lot of people said thanks for sharing your story um like i said your friends were sharing hearts and love the whole time i hope you got to see it but thank you so much it's been awesome thanks for sharing your story
Thank you. Oh, absolutely. I hope you have a good evening, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this conversation and are interested in becoming a sponsor, feel free to shoot me an email at townsendtmusic at hotmail.com or shoot me a message on any social media platform at Townsend Team Music for more information. I would love for you to become a member to help spread awareness that you're not alone. If you're looking to buy or sell, I have the perfect realty company for you. Clark & Co Realty is located in the Benton, Bryant, Arkansas area. And they understand that buying or selling a home is more than just a transaction. It's a life-changing experience. That's why their team of highly seasoned real estate professionals is dedicated to providing exceptional, personalized services for all their clients. They truly take great pride in the relationships they build, and they always work relentlessly on the client's behalf to help them achieve their perfect real estate goals. They always have the client in mind, and I can speak firsthand when I say how reliable, trustworthy, and quick they were. When I was looking to buy my first home, they were there with me every step of the way, answering every question I could think of. They showed me a great amount of knowledge and patience through the process. It's no wonder they've won so many awards for their outstanding services and their excellent relationships with clients. So if you're looking to buy or sell, there is no better option than Clark & Co Realty.